Well, welcome back to another episode of The Money Multiplier Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Kessler. And uh, today I'm joined here again with my colleague, my mentor, my friend, Jonah Dew. Jonah, what's up, man? Hey, everybody. I'm doing well this morning. Thank you for asking, Hannah. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. And you can probably see a new face up on the screen. That's Mr. Kevin, Kevin Shortell. And uh, Kevin and I, we've known each other for, I don't know, I want to say about a few years now. And you know my father and and Chris Noggle with being in the real estate world. So Kevin, how are you doing today? Doing great. I'm doing great. Looking forward to uh, having a good conversation with you both. Absolutely. Now, Kevin, I call you the notes guy. You're my go-to notes guy. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, so Kevin's been in the real estate world for over 25 years. So actually, uh, Kevin, he's purchased, renovated, resold over 150 properties and transacted almost 30 million in private mortgages. And Dan, he, he's a well-known speaker. And I actually just saw Kevin in, uh, up in Buffalo when uh, Chris Noggle had his event. So uh, a few of our listeners have probably seen you live in action. And uh, really, I, I I guess, Kevin, tell us what you do. What What is your specialty in the real estate world? Yeah, well, you mentioned real estate and some of the background that I have in real estate, uh, which is really well-rounded. And I've always looked at notes, which is the debt instrument in the real estate side, which I'll further explain. But I've always looked at that as a part of real estate. You know, real estate's a big, broad category. And it used to be when I first got started in this, that notes was considered just a small niche. But the reality is, if you've ever borrowed money to buy real estate, you've been in the note business. If you've ever taken out a hard money loan to, to flip a property, you've been in the in the note business. If you've ever sold a property with seller financing, you've been in the note business. And the thing is, I teach people how to get on the receiving end. Most people know the note business of paying, you know, paying on a mortgage. Well, I'm the guy that you know likes to be on the other side where the payments are coming in to me. So that's really what the note business is all about. I don't buy real estate. I buy the debt on the real estate, which is a secured debt by that property. So essentially, to put it simply, I become the bank. And that's a, a good spot to uh, to be, you know, be your own bank uh, kind of thing. Absolutely. That's why we love it, right? To, to talk about the infinite banking concept, it's all about being the bank, being in control. That's what uh-huh. I like. Good. Right. Good. I was gonna I was gonna say, Kevin, uh mentioned those magic words. I uh, said so we love those words. Everybody listening loves those words. Yeah. Kevin, I, I'm uh excited to chat with you because I don't know very much about the note space. So I've got right. my notebook and my pen here. Right. Ready to listen and learn, just like <laughs> everyone else who might be uh, yeah. uh, listening to the podcast. So sure. I'm very excited to chat with you, and uh, you, you might have to break it down, like on a you know, like a sixth grade, sure, you know, understanding level. Sure, but, uh, I've actually noticed that's one of the things that a lot of people like most about what we do, and uh, and I've heard that actually about you that you can break it down so that way everyone can understand it, and that way if it makes sense for you, want to get involved in it, it's very easy and there's clear next steps. Mm-hmm. Okay, the um, on a simple basis uh, of what it is, it's not a direct parallel, but it's a it's a spot that everybody can can think through. Most people now we're going to have some young people that have never written a check. But I hope you all know what a check is. <laughs> You've heard about a check, right? Uh, so maybe that's an antiquated example these days. But you know, when you write a check, 
what you're essentially doing is writing a promissory note to somebody, right? If somebody hands you a check and says, you know, here's the $500 I owe you, it essentially has on there their promise to pay, pay to the order of, and they put your name in there and the amount and they sign it and you get that that check. That is really a form of a note. In fact, I don't have my wallet on me here, but if you look at your a dollar bill, yep. you know, it says Federal Reserve Note. It's a note. What is that note really backed by? What is a dollar backed by? Well, the full faith and credit of the United States. And it says that we can use that for all debt. That's another form of, of, a, of a note. Getting back to a check, when someone gives you a promissory note in the form of a check and you go to a bank to cash it, um, it's really based upon what? That person has the money. They're promising, I've got the 500. Here's a, you know, a note. You just got to go cash in the note uh, to get your money. Well, sometimes when that happens, you can also have uh, what we refer to in our business as a non-performing note, right? Someone could give you that $500 on the promise they're going to pay, but then you go to cash it and the bank says there's no money in there you know, non-sufficient funds. Um, you know, so these notes are just promises that people, uh, uh, notes that people are promising to pay. So to relate that to real estate, when you go to buy a piece of real estate, typically you're not paying cash. So let's say you're going to borrow money. You have to go to a lender to borrow money. And I'll just say bank as, as the lender. So you go to the bank, and you want to borrow money to buy the $300,000 house, whatever it is. And you have to, first of all, promise to pay it back, right? And you do that actually through a promissory note. It says it right on the top, just like a big version of a check. I promise to pay you this money back through 30 years of payments or whatever it is at this interest rate, et cetera, et cetera. So the bank takes that and says, okay, we have your written promise, but Banks are smart. Lenders are smart. Note investors are smart. That's good. But we also want you to put up some collateral. Mm -hmm. We want you to put up something of value. In other words, we want you to secure this note. And the way you do that, when you're borrowing money at the bank, number one, you're promising to pay it back. Number two, you're signing a document called a mortgage that says, if I don't pay you back, according to my guaranteed note here, then you have the right to foreclose. Mm -hmm. So that's collectively, everybody you know calls it the note business, but the reality is we buy secured notes because a note on its own is not, uh, it's not collateralized. Going back to that check example, a check bounce, there's no collateral there. I have legal recourse to the law, but in the case of buying a real estate note, it's secured by that property. So if they don't pay me as they're supposed to do, then I can end up with the property. So that's really what we do. So it's a way of getting cash flow, but I'm not a landlord. So I don't have all of the liability of a landlord. I don't have the responsibilities, the management of a landlord. I don't have people calling me in the middle of the night, just like a, a bank. And that's the way uh, the no business works. Good, good. And, and actually, one thing that I took away from when you were talking in Buffalo um, mm -hmm. um, just a few weeks ago is the, the, the few things that I liked is, number one, you mentioned something about double digit returns 
with the collateral being worth more two times the investment. I like that. And yeah. on top of that, what really resonated with me is you shared that story. I, I I might get a few of the facts wrong, but but you shared the story about the the widowed mother, right? And how you came in and you helped that widowed mother because the bank was going to go and foreclose on her, but but she just had all of this other stuff going on and you actually helped her. You used those state programs that were out there to help her. And then, hey, when you're back on your feet now, start paying me. I really liked that. You you had that human connection with them where banks, they don't care if you are widowed or lose your job. They just care if they get that check every single month. Yeah, that's that's very, very true. Banks, especially today, they don't have large loss mitigation departments, meaning you're just another number. You're just another loan in a portfolio in this whole mortgage machine. And what a lot of people don't realize is on that level, banks don't own 99% of the loans that they create. They don't own them. They create them. They make money creating them, but they turn around and immediately sell them to government-backed entities like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. Now, those are acronyms for, uh, acronyms for those who don't know, Federal National Mortgage Association and the Federal Home Guarantee Loan Corporation, which are quasi-government companies that buy these loans along with Ginnie Mae, which is wholly owned by the government. Not to get too deep into the, the woods on that, but essentially banks do the same thing. They create paper, they create a loan, and then they sell it. And they actually do sell it at a discount. So they get capital back to do what? Create more loans. And that's how the whole system works. So how does a bank really make money? They make money by collecting upfront fees in originating the loan. And then they make continued revenue by becoming the servicing company for those government entities. In other words, so they collect the principal interest taxes and insurance and late fees or what have you every single month. They are able to uh, charge a, a fee for that, but they also hold the money for free that you pay for taxes and insurance. For most people, your property taxes and your insurance is due one time per year, some places twice per year. But imagine all the free float that banks make on millions and millions and millions of loans, uh, hundreds of millions of, of lo millions of loans across the United States. They're making free float on the money that they're just holding, which they'll pay out one time per year. So that's really where banks make their money. So because there's no personal attachment, Hannah, as you were saying, you don't pay. It just goes through a system. You know, it's a systematic approach. They might call about trying to get the loan to work again a couple of times, but if you're not paying, okay, that one's 90 days past due, you're done. And that's essentially the, the cutoff. But if, if Jonah were to buy a note and Jonah's invested $50,000 of his own money in this note and the house is worth a uh, hundred thousand. So he knows he's protected, right? The house is worth a hundred. These folks owe $60,000 and Jonah buys that note for 50. He's got a safe investment. You'll notice he paid less than what the balance on the note was. That's his discount, which increases his return. We don't buy notes and tell somebody, hey, we own the note. Your note's only 5%. That's not good enough for me. I'm going to raise it to 10, right? We can't do that. What we do is we buy it at a discount and the discount increases our return, okay? The, the borrower still pays the same amount of, of money. If that note were to go bad, if, if all of a sudden Joan is not collecting payments, he's less likely to go, well, let's just foreclose on them. Let's just get, get rid of them. 
Uh, and I don't know, again, a single person that ever got into the note business that at least I've encountered that got in this business. And go, oh, man, I can't wait to foreclose on people and take their homes. You know, it's just, exactly. not, it's just not a reality. The reality is he wants to work with people. In fact, Jonah might have bought in my little example here a note that when he bought it, it wasn't working. But all the signs were there. They're wanting to pay. They, they're taking care of the house. They're still paying their property taxes. And you see these little signs when you learn the business going, this person's trying, you know, so let me come in. And in that case, maybe Jonah only pays 30000 for that same note because it's broken. It's not working. And then he's got enough room in there where he can do a workout solution with that borrower to keep them in their home, which may or may not involve you know, the government funds, the government funds would be his go-to plan. Second would be without the government funds. And, you know, it, it's the, the percentage of times that we foreclose on people in this industry, although it's not tracked, I don't know how you could track it. In my experience in over 30 years, it's, it's such a small percentage of, of time because we always try to do some kind of a, a workout. Okay. Jonah, do you have, do you have, uh, hearing all that, do you got questions for Kevin? I do. I've got a few. Um, so I like, I really like your example. That was one of the things I was saying earlier about keeping it really simple. So I guess I'm wondering, is there with, uh, if someone was interested in working with you, is there any type of, well, I guess what I'm wondering is how's the, how does the due diligence work? Is it on the person to kind of research and learn and or do you kind of have a system where, hey, we'll walk you through these first couple steps on your first note or second note, so that way you get it? How does that just work working with sure. you specifically? Well, the first thing really is finding out what an individual like yourself or Hannah or anybody listening, what do you want to accomplish within the industry? Because the, the note industry is so vast, you have to break it down to how active do I want to be? Do I want to be active or passive? Um, do I um, do I want to just get monthly passive income or am I interested in doing workout solutions where the potential uh, for lump sum is, is greater, higher returns, but I've got to put some effort into it. How much capital do I have to start with? What is my individual risk tolerance? You know, how much risk am I willing to take to take on in a particular deal? And what reward? am I looking for in a potential deal? So, so you really kind of have to think about first, once you're exposed to what everything that the industry can do is narrow it down to where should I get started? And, and that's number one, because again, you can buy just like real estate. And I think most people can relate to this. You could go out and buy a home. Let's just assume you have the cash or what have you. You could go out and pay retail for a house today. No problem, right? There's no skill involved with that. You're just buying a house in good condition that you're paying a fair market value for. That takes no talent. Anybody can, can do that. But there's no real profit in that other than long-term, hopefully, appreciation, et cetera, et cetera. Real estate investors don't look for those homes, do they? They look for homes that they can buy at a discount that might need some work so it can increase the value, and that's where their profit is made. Well, let's parallel that to a note. If I'm buying a non-performing note where somebody's been living in the home, maybe they've made payments for four years, and something happens in their life. You know, they lost a job, their hours were cut back, they caught COVID, you know, all these different things happening in our world today. And all of a sudden they run into a rough patch in life. Look, most people, myself included, 
have and will run to rough patches in their life and they're they're struggling. So they're not able to pay on that note. It needs work. You're looking at a rehab type of note to parallel that to real estate. So it does take skill and due diligence to know how to look at that piece of property and say, well, uh, in this neighborhood, the house is worth this after it's fixed. What's it going to cost me to fix it up in both time and money? We do the same thing in the note business. This note is broken. It's not working. But if we were able to get it working, we could increase the value to it. We could turn around and sell that note later on. We could just keep it for cash flow. And one of the cooler things, which is a little bit more advanced, we can even sell part of a note. Uh, unlike real estate, I can sell a note multiple times versus just selling one time on, on real estate, which is kind of a cool concept, not to muddy the waters there. But that's the sort of thing that you look at. Now, there's other notes that you can buy. And I've got a couple of right now where these people have been making payments in this home for 12 years and their payment history is rock solid. They might have a 30 day late here and there over the years, but they're paying every single month. You're still going to buy that note at a discount, but not as a substantial discount of one that is non-performing. So there's degrees in there. So if I'm working with somebody and they say, well, look, I just want to invest my money. I don't want to get involved where I might have to you know, do a workout solution or possibly have to foreclose on somebody or get a deed in lieu. That's too much time and activity. I've got a regular thing going on, regular job, whatever. I just want to place my money. Well, I'll get them into a turnkey passive note, a note where there's at least 30% equity. The people have been making payments for two years, uh, you know, and you can get double digit returns. I mean, that's just a great note to have. Other people who are a little bit more aggressive, they're looking for real estate. And this is another way that you can buy real estate to go to the other extreme. I want to buy a non-performing note on a vacant property. So I take the person out of the, the equation. I'm going to focus on short foreclosure states. Perhaps if I'm going after a property, I might look at Georgia, Missouri, short foreclosure states, where in Georgia, 90 days and less than a thousand bucks to foreclose. So if I can buy a non-performing loan on a vacant home in Georgia at a substantial discount, I know I'm going to end up with the property, but I'm not ha even having to kick anybody out. It's vacant right now. And I'll have that thing within, within 90 days and less than a thousand bucks. And no other real estate investor in that area is looking at, can buy that house. Right? They don't know that it's even for sale because I'm buying real estate by getting the note first. So there's big extremes within this industry. And what I do is try to narrow it down and say, let's at least get started here. You know, uh, so it's all based, uh, predicated upon what an individual is really looking for. Good. Money multiplier listeners, you see why I call him the note guy now? <laughs> no, very good, Kevin. Actually, that was my that was going to be one of my questions too. You know, if if folks have a nine to five job, how much time do they got to spend to this? Um, one thing as well, when I met you uh, just here recently up in Buffalo again is uh, I, I asked you the question. I said, you know, Kevin, I, I don't know which one I want to get into. I don't know if I want to go the route of private lending or if I want to get into the note business. And you're like, mm -hmm. and you said, you said, Hannah, they're one in the same. The private lending is you're just creating a new note. The note business is you are just taking on the ownership of those notes that are already created. And, I, right. and, and after you said that, I was, like, <laughs> I was like, all right, now it makes all the total sense in the world. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it really is. It's you're creating paper, you're buying paper that's already been created. 
So your due diligence, well, I don't think, uh, Jonah, I don't think I fully answered your question. Um, on the due diligence side of it, we do look at, well, what's our collateral worth, right? So we do have to understand the underlying value of the real estate. We have to also, though, understand the contract that we're buying. And that's where even seasoned real estate investors don't really have a handle on the contracts. I mean, think of it this way, and everybody listening to uh, I guarantee everybody who's ever bought a house has been guilty of this. I've seen it over and over again. You go to a closing. Now, we used to have sit-down closings. Most of it's online. It doesn't matter. Either way, whether it's an online closing or in-person, you're basically sitting there signing paper after paper after paper, either electronically or in-person. And I guarantee you, you didn't read everything. Mm-hmm. Just don't is, you know, somebody's rattling off. This is a form that does this. You know, okay. Okay. You know, and you're on the hook for a big loan, right? <laughs> you're never reading through the documents. One of the things that I have to teach people is when we're buying a note that's secured by a mortgage, we got to know what's in the note and what's in the mortgage, because those documents contain the rights and responsibilities for both parties, the lender, as well as the borrower, you know, so you don't have to read them from start to finish every single time, but you have to go to key paragraphs to understand who's responsible for that. What if they What if they don't live up to this? What if they do? What do I have to do? All these things are in the documentation. And then we look the same way at, at, at real estate as we do with notes as far as chain of ownership. When a note was created, so in Hannah's example, if Hannah creates a note and maybe she's buying a property. Maybe she bought a property through foreclosure, what have you. And, and Hannah buys the property. She fixes it up. And now she's going to sell it with seller financing because she can make more, more money that way and sell it quicker. Great. So, so she creates a note. So she converted her investment from property, real property, to paper now. She doesn't own the real estate anymore. She sold that, but she has the paper, the note, and the mortgage. That is another asset. So she can hold on to that asset and just enjoy the, the monthly income that comes in from that, or she can take that and sell it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, when she created the note, wouldn't it be smart for her to think in terms of, well, I don't know, maybe I'll keep the note, maybe I'll sell it, but I should create a note that has good resaleable value because I might just sell it. Right? right. So she's going to look into her due diligence, which is what's the credibility of the borrower? How much money are they putting down? What interest rate should I agree upon on, on this? You know, those sorts of things to create a good quality note that when she sells it won't take a big discount. So, for example, if, if Hannah created this note, it doesn't even matter how much it is, but she did it for 50 years at zero percent interest. If she went to try to resell that, that's going to take a big big discount. Yeah. Right. Uh, versus if she did a 10 year note at 9% interest, she doesn't have to sell that at much of a discount for an investor to get a 10% return because all they have to do is discount it a little bit to go from nine to 10. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or nine to 11, whatever the case may be nine to 12 versus 0% interest. How much do you have to discount it to get it up to those same levels? You know, so how you create them requires some some knowledge of the note business. Um, and then when you're buying those notes, you're basically just going back and almost doing a like a CSI investigation. Like, how is this created? Who owned this note before? Is there a clear chain of title in the ownership of this this note? Uh, what's it worth? What's the risk? What's the reward? And you balance those out to come up to a price. Beautiful. I like that. I like that we have so many options 
when it comes to helping our members, right, our money multiplier members uh, pursue some new income, passive income, new streams. And uh, I'm very interested. Like I had mentioned to you, I I didn't know. I didn't know anything about the note. Yeah. So I'm actually like I'm taking notes. I'm I'm super <laughs> interested in uh, in learning more. So that's awesome. Thank you for sharing. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, one of the things I, at, uh, Hannah, you know, at the, in Buffalo and stuff, I like to teach through stories, and and I show deals all the time because I look at deals all the time. But a typical example, again, so everybody can wrap their head around it, especially in these days where property values have appreciated, um, you know, loans uh, have been uh, stricter than they were in the last market crash. But I see so many notes where you've got a hundred thousand dollar home, but the person's been making payments on it for so long they only owe. Thirty to fifty thousand dollars. So right away, buying a perform, and I'm talking performing notes. You could invest on average about thirty thousand dollars. And by the way, you can use your own money. You can use uh, IRA, four hundred one k, all of that. Uh, you know, all the retirement money. You can use your money out of the life uh, policies and such. So you're investing maybe $30,000, you're making 10 to 12% interest, and it's backed by something that's worth hundred grand. Yeah. And you don't have to do anything other than check the boxes, verify the seasoning. I'm looking at the payment history. They're showing me third-party proof of that. I can see when the note was created. I can see maybe it was sold once before. All the documentation is there. I get a BPO done on the property, broker's price opinion for those who don't know. So I have a local real estate agent essentially appraise the property for me, might even get a title report, probably should get a title report on that thing. And I purchase it. And now the the money from that note just goes to me instead of the other note holder. I mean, it can be that simple, everybody. It, it, it's once you understand the you know the business, it's not really uh, more more difficult uh, than that. That's tough. Good. I, I, I'm glad that you brought that up. I was going to uh, have you touch on that. Yes, you can use qualified money to uh, purchase notes. And uh, for money multiplier members, you know, using your infinite banking policies to go out and purchase those notes, right? You're just pushing your dollar the extra mile. I'm always earning interest on my money in the policy. And now I'm also making interest and in, in capitalizing on the dollars over here in the note business. Right. So very good. Now, here, here's one of my last questions for you. Yeah. Or the folks who are already in the business, where where are we at right now? What what now? What next? Can you give any tidbits to those folks who are actively in the business and how they can further their business? Yeah, I've been in this for thirty years, and everything goes through cycles, right? And we're in a cycle right now that I feel the note industry itself is is in the strongest position of any investment across the board. And I'm talking, you know, crypto, I'm talking stocks, bonds, and and, and everything else, because from, from my, and I might be a little biased on that, but when I look at everything, I go, well, wait a minute, property values are at all time highs right now. And also people are become fearful of that, right? So there's a lot of talk about, well, what if property values go down? And they might go down. I don't know of a single client of mine that would be affected if property values by drop by 20%. I, I don't know of a single one. Because again, we've got that buffer. So going back to that example, if you pay $30,000 for this note and the house is worth 100 grand, you've got a lot of safety in there. If the house goes down to now 80, are okay. you you know are you affected? No. I mean you're you're still there. You're still safe. The monthly mortgage payments on these loans 
are way less than rent right now. So in addition to that, on that note, let's say that note's in Ohio. And by the way, $100,000 home in Ohio is a three bedroom, two bath, uh, nice looking looking home. And I know you probably have people all over the US. I use 100,000 because we can just do easy math, but that's very realistic in a lot of the markets that we work within. Um, you know, rent on the, the homes would be the same thing. You could look up rent on like Rent-A-Meter or something. You're going, all right, these people are paying $500 a month. The house would be $1,500 a month to rent. So they're motivated to stay and pay. Even if it's a situation where somebody's fallen behind on the pay, they want to work with you because they'd rather stick with that $500 payment. What's their alternative? They can't rent next door uh, without paying $1,500 a month. So we've got that going for us, the rent pressure, keeping people there. And in fact, people are staying in their homes longer these days. Um, when I first started tracking that number uh, back in 2009 and, and, and uh, eight, nine and 10, people were staying in their homes maybe seven years and then cashing out, selling and everything else. Now it's 13. So people are staying longer. They're paying longer. The rents are putting pressure for them to stay. Property values, even if they do go down, there's still equity in a lot of these, these loans. Um, and you know, I started looking at, you have to look at worst case scenario, right? You always have to prepare for that. You're hoping for best, but worst case, somebody loses their job, doesn't have the ability to pay on some of these smaller loans, which we have a tendency to specialize in because you can diversify and build up a nice portfolio. Uh, even unemployment, if they want an unemployment, they should be able to afford these payments. Now you add in all this government money, that is put aside $10 billion, by the way, everybody, every state got a part of that. Every state got, got uh, what is it, at least 50, not 50, every state got money in this. And every state is now allocating to help people catch up on their mortgage or pay their mortgage moving forward. And in some cases, even pay off the mortgage. And I think they'll probably extend that program. I, I really do. So, all of that added uh, uh, together to me makes this a, a you know a, a really great investment for anybody. And I would just add in the liquidity to the market. I mean, when I first started in this, we didn't even have the internet. Okay, so <laughs> I I had to go to the courthouse. You know, I had to go through microfilm. I had to look at real paper and go go through stuff. Today, you could literally this afternoon you know, go up and look at note inventory that's available for sale. Uh, so it's a very liquid market. So I think when you add the liquidity into this, it, it really becomes a game changer in the industry. Well, Jonah, awesome. do you have any things you Yeah, have? I was just going to say, thank you so much for sharing. How can our listeners find you if they're interested in working with you or where should we direct them or point them? And, uh, and kind of how does that work if they want more information? Yeah, the best thing I found is, well, look, I, I've got a podcast as well. Uh, it's branded under real estate without renters. Um, I also have a best-selling uh, book called Real Estate Without Renters. So that's kind of my theme. My website, realestatewithoutrenters.com. <laughs> so if you want to find out more about me, uh, you can look at um, Real Estate Without Renters. You can look up my name. I've got a YouTube channel as well. So if you're just looking for more information on what I what I teach, I even do these little 
tip of the days on, on Twitter and, and Facebook and, and LinkedIn. So I'm not hard to find. If you do a little Google search, you'll find me there or on YouTube. But what I've found that works best for people who I've really piqued your interest and you want to learn more and how you can work with me, because I do work directly with, with people. I'm an educator and a, and a mentor in this, in this business. Uh, the best thing to do is really set up a Zoom call with me or, or a phone call. And uh, no charge for that. Just see if this is, uh, you know, right for you or or not. Maybe it isn't. Um, maybe it's not the right timing. Uh, maybe it is. You know. So we'll we'll find out pretty quickly in a thirty minute call. Uh, so I've sent you those. Uh, let me, I could pull them up here on on my screen there. Uh, let's see where to go. Um, bah, 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 bah. You have that in front of you. And what I'll do? What oh, I'll here do? we go. Well, yeah, we'll- go ahead. We'll link them down in the description box. So for everybody, we'll link them down in the description, uh, all of your uh, resources. I must say, I love your uh, name. Uh, the the renters without our- a Real estate without renters? Yeah. Real estate without renters. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's very yeah. good. Because that's really, that's at the end of the day, that's that's what we do. But it is. We're, we're in the real estate, but no renters and and no- flipping and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So it, it's rather interesting, but yeah, there are Calendly links and, and you guys can schedule the date and time that you want to talk. And you'll talk with me personally, by the way, I don't outsource that. It's you'll, you'll be talking directly with, with me on that. We'll have a, we'll have a conversation. Good. Okay. And let me just tell uh, Money Multiplier members that are listening, if you want to catch us live, um, I, I will be speaking in Langhorne, Pennsylvania, so right outside Philadelphia on September 17th. Um, Kevin, I think you're going to be joining Pops in Orlando. Is that right? I will be. There? Yeah. Um, down at the Noteworthy Convention. You probably have those dates in front of you. I don't. I do. I do. Okay. Noteworthy. <laughs> The Noteworthy event is happening right in our backyard, Orlando, Florida. That's the 22nd to the 24th of September. And then the following week after that, we're coming to the West Coast, y'all. So we'll be in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, the 28th of September to October 2nd. So uh, we'll we'll link those down below as well if you want to come and catch us live. Um, Jonah, does the Banking Bros have any live events happening in September? There is uh, one live event happening in September. I don't remember the date. It is whatever Sunday is around the 20th. I, I'll have to apologize. So but, but what we'll do, just like Hannah said, is we'll link it below. So that way you guys can uh, uh, see those dates and see those locations. And if you're in the area, like always, we would love to come answer your questions, talk with you, chat with you. Um, and again, if you're going to Orlando, you can... Uh, you can talk to uh, Mr. Kevin here in person. So that'd be awesome if you're, if you're around that area. Yeah. That's it. Excellent. All right, well, thanks for joining in, Kevin. Thanks for your time today. You're an expert. You're a rock star, my man. So thank you for just spending a little bit of knowledge in your big noggin of yours. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure. I enjoy it. All right. We'll catch you later. Great. Bye, y'all. Bye, everybody.